You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, you're so good to us. And as we uh, soldier and sojourn in this uh, wicked and naughty world, as the prayer book tells us, uh, we pray that we would cling to you. And uh, Lord, that... um, We would care a whole lot more about what you think rather than what others think. Uh, But Lord, if we're going to be persecuted, that it would be for your namesake, uh, not simply because we're turkeys. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a a pretty typical prayer around our house. Um, So today we're talking about apologizing for God. And some of this may have come out uh, last week, or at least it was, where are you going with those? Just kidding. But apologizing for God, and what I mean by that is, are there things that God has said that we wish He hadn't said? And sometimes even feel that we need to apologize uh, for the fact uh, that God said them. I'm not really talking about things in the Bible that are confused. Um, You know, say, um, uh, I don't know, what's a good example of this? Something like modes of baptism or, um, or how the church is governed uh, or anything like that, uh, but, but an idea that, that is so clear in the text that we have no choice but to say, um, I'm sorry that God said that, especially to the wider world. And I think that heretofore, the, the habit that the church really engaged in was to just not talk about things. We just didn't want to engage things. And isn't it interesting, the very things that nobody wants to talk about in the church are the things that the world loves talking about. And they can't help but talk about uh, what's going on uh, in, in the world around them. And I think it was Colin Hansen, uh, who's a Birmingham guy, who said, at any given moment, your children are being catechized. Which means, at any given moment, somebody is trying to instill in your child uh, convictions, principles, you name it, uh, a a worldview, a certain understanding. And yet the church, especially in the 20th century, feels really, uh, feels immense pressure uh, to pull back. A good illustration of this, I think, is the confessing church during uh, the time of Nazi Germany, where by and large, the entire Lutheran church, the state church in Germany, and even some of the Roman Catholics, completely capitulated to Nazism. Now, privately, they might say, you know, they're pretty bad, but, but as long as we keep our heads down, maybe the church, meaning the institution, can wear, can, can weather this storm. But of course, what happened is they got completely and totally co-opted. Um, there's a really, uh, I'm, I'm going to step on some toes here, but there's a really great um, uh, comic uh, that has... Um, uh, the Babylonian captives like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the golden idol is, is propped up, everyone else is bowing down, and they're standing, and they refuse to bow, and uh, they're looking at their fellow Israelites, and the one bowing down to the ground looks up and says, but he said he'll vote for pro-life judges. Um, and, uh, and so there's a sense in which 
uh, we can easily fall captive. It's not just the German church, because I think that that is one of the, the startling things about um, World War II in Germany, is that an entire nation basically gave way. And if you were to talk to Germans, you wouldn't walk away saying, monsters. You'd walk away saying, gosh, they're a whole lot like me. Right? They're, they're, they're not other. They actually are me. And so realizing that, uh, the confessing church pulled away from the institutional church, or I should say the established church in uh, Lutheran Germany, and there was an underground church that cost uh, many people their lives, including um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, did y'all ever see the movie Valkyrie with uh, Tom Cruise? Um, the thing that is not mentioned in that movie that had everything to do with why they were doing what they were doing in the attempt to assassinate Hitler, do you know what the... If there's a scene where they're all in a meeting and they're all together, and it's kind of a disparate group of people, and they make it sound like, yes, it is a common sort of we're against Hitler thing, but you know what really they all had in common? They were all members of the confessing church. They were all Christians, and so when you go back and you read these things, you, you find that it was their faith that actually led them to say, well, one, we can't be a part of an institutional church that is not just going along with the culture, but is actually defying God by doing that. We can't stand against God, and we realize that if we, if we stay faithful to Jesus and His Word, it's probably going to mean our death. But so be it. Now, can anyone name one church leader from Germany that was part of the institutional established church? I can't. I don't know of one. But if you give me a couple minutes, I can do a list of people who are part of the confessing church. I mean, Bonhoeffer, after all, uh, not only, um, not only uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but Bonhoeffer was actually in New York City teaching at Union Seminary when Hitler came to power. And he said, I've got to go back. And people said, if you go back, that, that's, go back, you're where everybody else wants to be. Right? You're in New York and, and you're allowed to stay here. And this is really great. And he said, no. Uh, I have to go back. And by and large, the church in Germany, uh, the established church, uh, felt the need to apologize for God. It started out as, we'll just ignore those bits of Scripture, to all of a sudden they began to take those bits and manipulate them to mean something that they don't mean. I think that there, there's a really startling picture of a group of clergy standing around a Christmas tree uh, and all of the ornaments in the, on top are all swastikas. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty startling. Um, and yet, uh, this has not been uh, something that is isolated. Uh, Luther wrote about this, about the church uh, under the Babylonian captivity, that the church was actually captive uh, to the spirit of the age at the time of the Reformation. And uh, by and large, uh, mainline Protestant Christianity, it's very hard in America today to discern the difference between it and the culture at large around it. Now, I'd love for you all to push back on that a little bit if you, if you don't think that that's, that's the case. And, um, and so I want to talk a little bit about that uh, today, and certainly when it comes to 
uh, apologizing uh, for, for God. Because I find myself, I mentioned this this morning when someone came up to me and said, uh, hey, I think I'm going to leave the Advent because I think that there's just too much Jesus and too much Bible and, and I want something a little bit lighter. Uh, my response to that person was not haughtiness, but I just sort of looked in disbelief and I said, well, that's all I have. I, I don't have anything else, anything else to, to give you. Um, I, I remember visiting uh, a man on his deathbed and he was in great pain and agony and uh, I began to tell him about the Lord Jesus and uh, he used a very strong ex- expletive that ended with Jesus. He said, I don't want your Jesus. I said, well, that's all I have to give you. Uh, apart from him, I, I'm just wasting my time. Y'all are, I mean, y'all could have slept in and had an awesome brunch this morning. Uh, you, really, you really could have. Uh, whatever they call Trattoria now, that has a very nice brunch. Y'all could have made your way down there. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of people do that, don't they? And what I found is that when we say at the Advent that we have a heart for people who have been burned by the church... It's not just people who grew up in a fundamentalist background who uh, really had some spiritual damage done to them uh, growing up because uh, the law and the gospel were confused and uh, right living, which is, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, uh, or date girls that do, uh, you, uh, you, you know, mistaking that for being a faithful Christian. We get a lot of people who have grown up in a mainline Protestant denomination who also had the law and gospel confused where they just kind of thought that being Christian meant being really nice and neighborly and then they come to a place like the Advent and I know this is going to sound judgmental but I'm just telling you what people tell me and they almost get angry with their upbringing because they say I never heard this I'm 50 years old I grew up in that church and not once did I hear that Jesus Christ died for me now, it may be in certain circumstances that they just weren't listening, uh, and God intervened at, uh, at a later uh, event, in, at a later time in their life, uh, but I get that a lot too, and that there's a lot of resentment that, that the gospel was either lost on them or was never even articulated uh, in the context in which uh, they grew up. And, uh, and what I run into a lot, especially in my own denominational circles, I'm going to pretend like you're not in my denomination, Um, that anybody who has an evangelical Christian faith, and by evangelical, I don't mean that in the political sense that it's come to mean uh, in American culture. Uh, What I mean by that is a gospel people, right, which is their original use of the word. Uh, People who actually believe uh, that the Bible is the word of God, they believe Jesus is who he said he is, that his death is sufficient for us, that he was raised from the dead, uh, and that when I die, I have the assurance that I'm going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I mean by evangelical, okay, which I thought just meant Christian, but uh, there you have it. But when I run into people, that is almost used as, as a pejorative, and so there are those that if you are a Bible Christian, uh, you're going to be seen uh, as extreme. And I was at uh, Continental Bakery once, and I had my collar on, and I was walking, and this guy uh, was getting in his car, and he said, hey, are you, are you a Episcopalian?" And I said, I am. And he said, well, you know what they say, where four Episcopalians are gathered, this is the oldest joke, where four Episcopalians are gathered, there'll always be a fifth. And he said, I go to the Episcopal Church. 
And I said, well, that's all well and good, but what do you know of the Lord Jesus Christ? Man, he got in the car as fast as he possibly could and peeled wheels. And I know he walked away saying, what a nut. What an absolute nut. That guy is an extremist. Uh, When in fact, that guy had never actually reckoned with the fact that his Christianity, and this is only through a 90-second interaction, but what he said to me is that my Christianity is cultural. And so I, I get excited about identifying with a denomination, but I mean, even if I had made those jokes, which I think the better one is, what's the difference between running into the Baptist pastor at the liquor store and the Episcopal minister? The Episcopal minister says hello. <laughs> uh, that's better. Much better joke. Um, But if somebody said, but what do you know of the Lord Jesus Christ? I, I would have said, he saved me, right? He, I, I would have actually had a response. I wouldn't have been put off by that, but I may have actually been challenged because I realized that I let off on what may have been an inappropriate joke. A lot of people I run into admire the Bible, uh, but don't hold a view uh, that it's authoritative on most matters for today. And so I think the Bible is special, that it has a certain word, but that, but that word is for people who lived in Jesus' day. And where this has really begun to manifest itself in the life uh, of the church, and I, I, I'm surprised this is where it goes now, but it, this is where it goes, is there's the scene in John's Gospel, you remember where Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, and she says, uh, she's pleading with Jesus for, um, for a healing, and, uh, and Jesus responds, um, you know, basically the, the dogs are not even worthy to gather up the crumbs under the table. And, or he says, you know, go away from me. And she says, but even the dogs can gather up the crumbs. Do you know that story? You should, yeah. And, uh, and I've heard it preached any number of times in my own denominational circles where that just goes to show you that Jesus was a racist and a product of his time. Well, that's not what's happening there. I've preached on that passage before and I think with a more biblical idea of what was happening there, and you could go back and listen to that. Uh, but do you see what I'm saying? That all of a sudden, the prerogatives of today begin to determine uh, even who Jesus is and, and, and what he's saying, because it couldn't possibly, it, it could only be that Jesus is a human being who was able to be manipulated by the cultures of, of the day. And so it's more likely to conform to earthly patterns of behavior, uh, but, uh, and, and, and a, a loving commitment to others that I find within mainline Protestant Christianity. Um, So there really isn't much of a difference between mainline Protestant Christianity and the world, uh, and yet there still is a deep and abiding commitment uh, to loving others. But when you really start to dig down into what that means, it's it's absent. (laughs) It's it's a bit vacuous, and and it may only be things like, well, I'm... um, Uh, I'm raising toys for tots uh, this Christmas. Well, that's a really good thing to do, uh, but then what? Because, you know, the Bible says that we need to love our neighbors as ourselves and give ourselves wholly over uh, to serving and loving people that God has placed uh, in our lives. So the... um, this is a controversial example, but I'll give it. Uh, Many of y'all know that Planned Parenthood is building a new clinic uh, downtown and uh, where they'll provide abortions and uh, other reproductive services. And uh, I got a lot of pressure to, um, 
to sign on to letters and things like that and to be supportive of the laws that were being passed in, in Alabama. And I'm a, unapologetically pro-life because I think that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, but my, my fault was that with them was I didn't think that, and this is a criticism of the evangelical side, I didn't think that it was enough to say, hey, we got this law passed and we should try to get this clinic shut down without actually considering the women who are being affected by that. And what I mean by that is, okay, we passed the law, we shut down the clinic, but what about the low-income African-American mother of four who, yes, now has no access to, uh, she's going to give birth to this child, but we're spending all of our energy over here. What are we doing to help this woman raise this child? Because quite frankly, upper income people, if the law stays the way it is in Alabama, are going to drive to Atlanta, right? They could, this, this woman can't, can't do that. So what does it actually look like to have a much more holistic approach and to actually care and love on people? And to say, yes, we want to see this child's life spared, but at the same time, we need to care for this mother and walk with her through this struggle. And that's really hard to do, isn't it? to actually come along somebody and invest in such a way that you say, you know what, uh, I'm going to be there for you uh, in the midst of all of this. And so even when men lie in Christianity are committed to loving other people, uh, I'm not sure that they're really, willing, they're really understanding what it means to really go there uh, with, with people. Um, when it comes to mainline uh, folks, uh, I've, I've noticed that they view church more as a, of a formal occasion, usually very traditional when it comes to church preferences, and often we end up going to the same church as parents, grandparents, and values the heritage of the church, though often treats it as separate from the rest of one's life. Now, this is the kind of point I've been trying to make for the past 10 weeks, is that in, this is kind of the, what we deal with in Birmingham. When I first arrived, people would say things like, I grew up, at, or I, I go to the Advent, and now they say I grew up at the Advent. Right? They say, I've got a cultural connection uh, to the Advent. One of the things that has gotten me in trouble recently are people who have moved away from Birmingham, uh, gotten married, had kids, and want to have the children baptized here at the Advent. I'm very happy to do that. I think that that's great, lovely, and wonderful. And I even think that familial connection is a really good thing. It's neat to say, I was baptized here, I was married here, and now I'm having my children baptized here. I love that. I think that it shows the godly heritage that we have here at the Advent. Where they get mad at me is when I say, we'd love to do it. Just let me know who your pastor is, and I'll get in touch with them and, and so that I know that when the baby's being baptized here, your home church, wherever you happen to be, is going to take ownership uh, of seeing that this child is raised in the Christian life and faith. Silence. And then they say, well, we really haven't found a church home yet. We're church shopping. How long have you lived in Albany? Well, 10 years. You see, that the church is more seen, it's a formal connection and that it's important to still go through those rites of passage, but it's actually divorced from the idea of the church being a spiritual family and and that being really at the core of why anybody would do something like have their child baptized. And again, that's not to, to lay down the law on anybody. Uh, it's simply to say that if I just baptize those children, I'm being a bad pastor. 
I am. I'm looking out, and I know that I've met with several of you who have children, uh, and um, uh, to talk about baptism, uh, even knowing that you're Christian parents, uh, because I think it's important for me to be able to connect with you and actually to pastor you through that. I mean, I, look, I've got, I find it easier to pastor y'all than to pastor my kids. I do. And, and so I know that I need the help. And, uh, and who's going to pastor me as, as I pastor the kids? Because y'all think I'm supposed to do it. Well, I'm, I'm all thumbs sometimes. And so really, Reverend Everybody is my pastor. So y'all need to pastor me as well and ask, hey, how's this, how's this raising your kids as Christian thing uh, going? Uh, but often, baptism and things like that are just treated as cultural rites uh, that we go through. Uh, a lot of folks that I run into uh, claim a belief in Jesus, uh, but have little knowledge of the gospel outside of the historic facts about the life of Jesus, uh, and, um, and really um, not sure often uh, what they believe outside of a basic theism. And, uh, and typically, uh, this is the result of clergy who, um, well, who don't hold the same theology, they, and they, they, they don't want to get into uh, specifics. And I think that one of the things that, uh, that I've encountered is, um, is even the question about, well, give me your testimony. And the number of people that I encounter uh, who have been raised in the life of a church, whether it's, you know, wherever that happens to be, that haven't really come to know the Lord. And by that I mean this. That, you know, I think it's a great testimony. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up and I'd hear these testimonies about these people that were like in gangs and, and then they had this radical conversion experience, I would always sit there and think, man, I wish I had one of those. You know, man, I wish I, I used to, you know, electrocute kittens and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, but, uh, and I used to think my testimony is so boring. Uh, yet I, those in the South especially are the most powerful testimonies. And I think it's an amazing testimony and a true testimony to simply say, praise God, I grew up in the life of the church and there's never been a moment where I didn't know Jesus. That's a testimony. What I'm talking about are people who say, well, of course I'm a Christian. I was baptized. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm a member of this church. Of course I'm a Christian. Whatever, whatever it happens to be, all these sort of false spiritual hooks that we try to hang our spiritual lives on, rather than saying, you know, I know I'm a Christian because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. There's a big difference in that. That's the difference between a Christianity that has been coming through the culture and, and a Christianity uh, that, is, um, that is coming through the Holy Spirit uh, as articulated by uh, God's Word. So I, um, I have a lot of awkward conversations with people. And I even had one guy say to me, he said, you know, why are you trying to pin me down on this kind of stuff? And I said, well, I don't know if you know this, but I'm your pastor. <laughs> and, um, and it's kind of up to me uh, to sort this, this stuff out. I mean, Frank Limehouse said it very clearly when he went down to Jupiter Island, Florida, and the uh, age range down there tends to skew a little bit to the older side, uh, to say the least. And in the interview process, uh, somebody asked Frank, this is a typical Frank answer, um, what do you think that your main job here is if you were to become the pastor here? And Frank said, to prepare you to die. <laughs> and they loved it. 
right? Why? Because, because Frank, that is his job. You know, I want to know that at the end of the life that you've heard the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're putting your trust and your faith in him. And I really do want, I mean, I am just overwhelmed uh, at the gift that it is to be your pastor. I mean, the number of times that I've been in a hospital room where a baby is being born or a hospital room where someone is dying and I look around and I'm the only person in the room not related and yet I'm where I'm supposed to be. That is just an awesome blessing and, and responsibility. And, and I don't take that lightly, which is why I think I'm driven more and more to be able to say, I just don't want to know you as, as you are on the surface. I really want to know who you are spiritually. I, I really want our relationship to be much more than, hey, that guy's my pastor. I really want to know you as a brother and a sister because that's the only way I can really care for you is if I actually know uh, who you are. And so uh, some of you don't have any problem with that. You're very invasive when it comes to our relationship. Uh, I won't name names as I look out today, uh, but, uh, but I think that that is actually uh, the right pas- uh, posture uh, to have. Now, uh, all that I've said, I, I-, I want us to be... Um, Uh, very careful in the midst of this critique to be judgmental. So when listening to a sermon, we've had certain preachers here at the Advent, or if you've gone uh, to another church, if you're someone who was really grounded in the faith, you become the fault finder uh, when listening to the sermons, and you look for every evidence that the preacher is a heretic. Um, I'm not talking about you, of course. And the other side of that, there are those people in mainline churches who give the preacher the benefit of the doubt and question nothing. They just say, well, if that's what my preacher says, then that's what I'm going to go with, even though it might be over and against the Bible. But I think the fault that we have here at the Advent is often to look for evidence that the preacher is a heretic. Both, of course, are problematic. Instead, I think that we should try to listen through a lens of big-picture gospel clarity. Uh, What is the point of the message, what is the problem presented, and what is the solution given? Uh, In seminary, uh, 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 talking to a professor, uh, uh, and Frank Limehouse was big on this too, uh, gave a great piece of advice, and that was this. Never preach a sermon that would still be true if Jesus Christ hadn't risen from the grave. That is, did Jesus have to die in order for me to preach the sermon that I just preached? If the answer is no, um, then it wasn't worth preaching. So, um, I'm going to have to stop it here because I I realize that we're we're short on time. I said some inflammatory stuff, some of it um, in a hyperbolic way, but I I say all of that because I think that, that we need to realize the context in which we live in where Christianity is so assumed, it becomes difficult to evangelize people because on the one hand, if someone has grown up in church and you go up to them and say, hey, are you sure you're a Christian? That is really offensive. I mean, that, that would be really offensive. Uh, but at the same time, if somebody even came up to me not knowing that I'm a pastor and said, how do you know you're a Christian? I'd actually look forward to that conversation. I mean, as I said before, like I, I often assume that people, because of what I do, uh, that they really want to go there spiritually. Like the poor guy in Sydney, Australia, who as I was walking down the street trying to make my way to the ferry to go over to Manly Beach, uh, which is really beautiful, 
and I'm, I'm worried I'm going to miss the ferry, and so I'm walking with intention, and this guy stops me in the middle of the street, and he says, and he's got a bag full of little pamphlets, and he says, sir, can I ask you, how many blind people there are in the world? And I thought, clever boy. I said, without Jesus Christ, nearly five billion. And he looked at me and said, no, actually, there are only and he filled in the blank and gave me the actual statistic. And it was clear to me that he was actually raising money for the Blind People Foundation. And, and all of a sudden, he was trying to get away from me. Um, and, uh, and then we had a little prayer there in, 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 in the middle of the street. But I really loved the fact that we kind of engaged over it a little bit. And, and I told him, I said, I think what you're doing was really lovely and, and, and worthwhile. But I want you to consider what it means to be spiritually blind and to be able to, to know who Jesus Christ, uh, Christ is. And I'm sure he thought I was some wackadoo when I left. Um, and he even mentioned that he had grown up in the church. But, um, but if you're a real Christian and somebody asks you questions like that, you You rejoice. Uh, to be able to say that you've been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ and you've been made a child of God. David, do you want to... Anybody have any questions? Well, I just want to commend you for both your uh, piece at the Evangelical Conference last week and your newsletter of what is essential for our church to be looking at as opposed to... I'm waiting to get angry emails about that. I haven't checked my email this weekend because I do want to qualify that a little bit. I reread it and I thought, ooh, that was a little bit hard. Um, I should let my wife read things. Um, but I, I do want to say something about that, that, that there is something particularly wrong with Anglicanism in North America. And I, I think that cut, I'm not talking liberal conservative uh, because of the number of people, and I'm sure if I polled you, that would be the case too, that when it comes to Anglicanism, we rely on other denominations and other ministries to evangelize and disciple people, and then we kind of scoop them up when they're mature believers. Um, and it's very, my testimony is a little bit of the exception. I grew up in the Episcopal Church, but, and I came to faith while an Episcopalian, but like many other people, it's because of young life. Now, there's always a sort of another ministry floating out there uh, that's, a, that's a part of that testimony. So it wasn't really meant to be so much of a criticism of this is terrible, but, but we really need to think about, uh, and the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church is thinking about this a lot, like making sure that the evangelism isn't the E word in our, in our denomination. Oh, well, good. You're all thoroughly convinced. All right. Well, if you do take an ex- accept, it would be really helpful to me, actually, if you take exception or you need clarification or you think, you know, Andrew, I think you're awful in this. I really do welcome... Uh, emails and, and phone calls, especially in face-to-face meetings, um, because it, it helps me uh, to understand where I may be off, uh, but also to help clarify things, especially if I've misspoken. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, you are so good to us, and uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would give us hearts to love other people, that uh, our Christianity would not just be rooted in our heads, uh, but it would be all of us And, Lord, that we really would uh, love one another as you have loved us. And, Lord, that we would stay uh, faithful to you, caring more about what you say than this world says. uh, For only in you uh, do we have life and meaning. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.